0: Continuing our series through John. We've now arrived at John chapter 10. I'm going to read from verse 1 through to 21. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens the sheep hear his voice and he calls his sheep by name and leads them out when he has brought all out when he has brought out all his own he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice a stranger they will not follow but they will flee from him for they do not know the voice of strangers Heavenly Father, we ask for grace this morning that as we read your word, as we hear your word preached and proclaimed, that you graciously, by your spirit, allow us to have your words illuminated to us. That we would see the good shepherd and that we would know the truth of what it is to trust Jesus as the good shepherd. Amen. Keep your Bibles open to John 10. I don't know if you've heard or maybe you've had the, the icebreaker question, the question that comes out often when you're uh, meeting people is, if you were an animal, what animal would you be? If you were an animal, what animal would you be? And most people, I, I imagine, answer this question by saying, oh, I'd be a lion, I'd be like, you know, powerful or maybe some people might say oh, I'd be an eagle because you know, I could have that, the wonderful gift of flying and I could soar. Or uh, maybe you would say if you were me, I, I think I would answer I'd be a dolphin. I would love to be a dolphin. <laughs> because here's, here's why. You've got to explain why you chose that animal. I would choose to be a dolphin because you could ride massive waves and have no fear of wiping out. So I would be a dolphin. I was asking, I was asking my, my children this morning if they were an animal what animal would they be? And they didn't actually respond, they just made noises. Um, <laughs> so Matilda would be a cat, so she meowed at me. And Talitha would be a puppy dog, she started barking at me. But what I find uh, amazing, um, what I've never come across, maybe you have, but I've never, ever, ever come across when that icebreaker question has been asked, it's no one has ever said, oh, I would be a sheep. That's me, I would be a sheep. They're not really an animal that people want to identify themselves with. You, you don't really come across like the Penn Hills sheep in terms of the sporting team, do you? It's not, a sh- it's not an animal that we kind of would go rush to identify ourselves with sheep. And yet, the Bible identifies us with sheep often, regularly. It refers to humans as being like sheep. And so we want to get to know sheep a little bit. And so the resident sheep farmer in Sovereign Grace Church, Sydney, is Will Turner, and I was chatting to Will Turner during the week about what it is like to shepherd or farm sheep. And Will was great. He gave me lots of insights of what sheep are like. They're very simple, Will said. Will said that in terms of farming sheep, it's, they graze during the day and they sleep at night. Uh, Will was saying that in terms of um, looking after sheep, however, they actually require a lot of effort. Yeah, there's a lot that, the, that humans have to do to look after sheep uh, in terms of making sure that they're provided for their feed in terms of making sure that these sheep who are incredibly vulnerable to harm, making sure that no harm comes against the sheep, they don't do that themselves. The farmer has to look after them. The farmer has to make sure that that they're continually looked after so that they don't experience fly strike, for example. Uh, He said, Will was saying, that in terms of sheep, they they very rarely know what's good for them. And in fact, they'll often, often fight against the farmer, the farmer who is trying to do good for them, They'll try and fight against the farmer. It's interesting, isn't it? And another fact that I looked at when I was looking through the week in terms of sheep is that they can be really, really easily led and enticed away by the greatest desire that a sheep has, a desire for food. This desire can, can be manipulated. This affection, this longing, this lust that, that lies dormant in a sheep, this desire for food can be used and in, to entice sheep away. And if there is a bad shepherd... A bad shepherd who played on those desires that could quite easily lead the sheep to do bad things. Could it quite easily lead the sheep poorly? And you might hear and read this and you might think, well, again, I don't get it, Mark. I don't see myself as a sheep. I don't identify as a sheep. I don't think that I'm easily led to do bad things. I don't think that I would be guided into wrong things, things that are not great. To which I want to say, well maybe, have you ever considered the bad shepherds that were everywhere during the 80s? I don't know if you were around during the 80s, but um, you were, for example, if I were to say Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and you can straight away sing the whole song. Or if I said Ice Ice Baby and you can say at least the first line, the first uh, verse. Or maybe, maybe you were around during the 80s and, and you thought Punky Brewster was really hip and happening. And if you don't get the 80s, if you don't get any of those things and you think, you think Back to the Future was a bad movie, if you don't get the 80s, then I'm going to try and help you understand because I think the 80s was a time where we saw lots of people in a fashion sense be really badly led by bad shepherds. <laughs> so this, this desire to be cool, it's not a bad desire, and yet this desire to be cool led people to do things that prior to the 80s, they would never have done that. And since the 80s, we've have, we have learnt that that was a bad thing. And so there are several fashion things that happened during the 80s, and I just want to educate you a little bit if you're not aware of the 80s. Let's have a quick look. So some of the things that happened during the 80s. Hypercolour shirts. <laughs> hypercolor shirts. There were these shirts that you would wear, and according to the temperature would change, which really just meant you could spot the sweaty guy. Um, and what else was there? There's parachute pants. So they were really hip and happening, especially the fluoro and funny coloured ones. Again, like sheep, no one in and of themselves would think that that's cool, right? And yet the desire to be cool led us all to think, yeah, parachute pants, we'll wear them. What else is there? There's shoulder pads. Shoulder pads were were happening in the 80s. They were cool. What else? There's um, mullets. And that's also a reference to Full House because if you grew up in the 80s, you know Full House and Saved by the Bell and, and all the fun ones. Bowl haircuts. Here's the thing: I had. I grew up and I had curly hair. So if I grow my hair, it goes up and out. And I still tried to do the bowl cut. So I'd st- <laughs> so undercut, not good. Bowl haircuts. Guns and Roses. And so they were the band that, if I think of the 80s, early 90s, Guns and Roses, and maybe some of you are thinking those lyrics and, and uh, some of the songs that they sang. But but you would, we would have looked at them and thought they are cool. And the way that they dress—that's cool in the '80s. But then you come to now, or you come to the '90s, or if you're in the '60s, that was not—that's not cool. That's weird. That's just weird. Some of these fashion statements that happened in the '80s—I think that's it. So I think, in terms of being reminded that that there are many bad shepherds, every generation has bad shepherds that lead us, that use our, play on our desires and entice us and lead us poorly. Badly. We, like sheep, are easily led, whether it's in fashion, or maybe it's ideologically, or politically, we can be so poorly led. Things, uh, entire countries that 50 years ago would never have uh, followed certain leaders now find themselves ruled by this leader and voting for this leader. Or maybe it's a sporting team, and, or, or the influence of sport on your life, that, that has such an effect that leads you. These desires lead you poorly. Poorly. Maybe it's desires, maybe you're led by desires for uh, your career. And such a, such a good desire all of a sudden becomes a bad shepherd that leads you in different directions to do things that you would never have previously thought you would do. We can be so easily led, and yet there are so many bad shepherds out there. And so throughout the Bible, we, as humans, are referred to and identify as sheep. The Bible says that we, like sheep, have gone astray from God. We have turned to our own way. And so there's this major theme that runs through the Bible of God actually addressing bad shepherds, of warning against bad shepherds. And that's key that is critical to understand John 10. And so it's really helpful for us then to have a good zoom in, a good glance at Ezekiel 34. Ezekiel 34. So turn to Ezekiel 34 now because we're going to have a look at that because it's in light of the Old Testament uh, addressing of bad shepherds that we then can come to John 10 and have a great understanding. If you like, it's like without going to the Old Testament, John 10 might be in black and white. But having an understanding of Ezekiel 34, it'll all be in colour. It'll be brilliant and beautiful. Ezekiel 34, so what we have here is God is addressing, God is speaking and first of all is addressing the bad shepherds. Ezekiel 34, he says verse 2, shepherds of Israel, verse 3, you eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones but you do not feed the sheep. Bad shepherds, as we see God addressing them, are people who perhaps offer much and yet deliver so little. Bad shepherds entice the sheep, and yet their primary concern, more often than not, is themselves. Haven't we seen that, perhaps, with political leaders who offer much? And then when it comes to the crunch, they are mainly concerned with themselves and not the sheep. Verse 4, the weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. Verse 5, they became food for all the wild beasts. These bad shepherds, God is addressing and warning and, and, and not happy with them. And so we come to verse 10, I will rescue my sheep. Verse 11, I myself will search for my sheep. Verse 12, I will rescue them from all places. 13, I will feed them, I will feed them with good pasture, verse 14. God continues, verse 15, I myself will be their shepherd. I will be the shepherd of my sheep, 16. I will seek the lost, I will bring back the straight, I will bind up the injured, I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong, and I will destroy, uh, the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. How will he do this? How will God shepherd his flock? We find in verse 24, I, the Lord, will be their God and my servant David, my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord, I have spoken. So we have this understanding that God addresses bad shepherds who easily lead sheep astray, who entice them according to their desires and lead them poorly. They guide, they direct sheep badly. So God responds and says, well, I will be their shepherd. And the way that he will shepherd ultimately will be by and through a servant. One like David. It will be one like David, a human, who will shepherd the flock well. And it is this context that the first century Jews would have have had a great understanding. I think for us, we perhaps relate so well to the the imagery that, that is throughout the Bible of king. And so we think of king and we understand king. Perhaps we think and relate to the the, the image of Lord. But on top of that, there is the image of shepherd. And for a first century Jew, they would have been imaging and, and waiting patiently for the one who would have been, yes, King, yes, Christ, yes, Messiah, but yet his role would have been something like a shepherd, intimately caring, intimately guiding and directing well the sheep. And so in this context, that the first hearers would have heard radically the words when Jesus stood up and said, I am the Good Shepherd. With the Old Testament background and understanding of God promising that He will shepherd the flock, we then come to hear the words from Jesus I am that one. I am the Good Shepherd. Many bad shepherds have come. Many bad shepherds have promised much and delivered little. And here Jesus stands up and he says, but I, I am the good shepherd. And so this morning I want us to come back now to John 10 and weigh up and examine why is Jesus the good shepherd? Why would you trust in Jesus as the good shepherd? Three points that I think are helpful in us as we explore and walk through this section of the scriptures is that Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus, the good shepherd, knows his sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, saves his sheep. Jesus, the good shepherd, gives his sheep life. Firstly, Jesus knows his sheep. Secondly, he saves his sheep. And thirdly, he gives his sheep life. These three points will help us as we walk through this passage, this, under, this uh, section of teaching from the, the Saviour, from the Good Shepherd. So, firstly, let's look at how the Good Shepherd is the Good Shepherd who knows his sheep. Let me read verse 1 to 4 again. I might even read verse 5 for a bit more context of chapter 10. of strangers here the lord jesus is addressing and saying that there are many people who would enter by the wrong means perhaps you might say that many of the other uh, bad shepherds are imposters they don't belong but jesus enters in the appropriate way jesus does belong he does have that title he is worthy of the title of the good shepherd why what is the biggest point here he knows his sheep Jesus enters in the appropriate way not as an impostor he doesn't have to jump in from the side jump the fence he enters through the gate as one who knows his sheep they are his sheep as we sang this morning i was pondering this a little bit further that how good it is to be loved by Jesus how good it is it is so wonderful and good to be loved by Jesus because verse 3 and 4 he knows you he knows you by name We read that he doesn't just stand and give some sort of general, hey, you lot, come here. He doesn't address you in the impersonal, never using your name, but he he uses your name. Yesterday we had a party for Talitha, her fifth birthday party, and that has flown five years. But we had a party for her. And there was uh, some friends there who have uh, children who were born the same time, who have been part of the the mother's group that Bianca regularly catches up with. And uh, I went and had a conversation with one lady. And I say one lady because I know her. And yet I could not for the life of me remember her name. It's those situations where you think, I should know her name. And this says so much when I don't. And I'm in those, you know, those conversations where you're thinking, yeah, so um, hi. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> and there's just a, a, an awkward sense that it's like, you know, I imagine she's thinking, he doesn't know my name. He doesn't really know me. How beautiful it is when people actually address your name when they remember your name. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that say much? That says a lot, doesn't it? The Lord knows your name. And He doesn't just know your name. He knows you intimately and personally. How good it is to be loved by the Good Shepherd because He knows you. He was there before you were formed. He was there when you were formed. He was there when you you took your first steps. He was there in those, in those awkward years, the teenage years when you, when you were hurting. He understood that. He understood what you were going through and he was with you. Those, the challenging times that you've been through in the last week, the times that you've been doubting, the times that you've been tempted, he knows you. He knows you as a good shepherd knows his sheep. He knows your name. He intimately loves you and cares for you. How good it is to be loved by the good shepherd who knows you personally, intimately, and cares for you. He is a good shepherd. He is not an imposter. He is not a hireling. He is not someone who is hired. Later on in the passage, we read about someone who is hired. They don't know the sheep. The first sign of trouble, sheep are vulnerable. Sheep... Can easily be attacked. Sheep can easily face trouble and hardship. A hireling doesn't know. They don't care, and they flee. If the sheep are terrorized, they're just there for a money, for a wage. They don't know the sheep. They don't care. They flee. You and I, friends, we are sheep. Who do you trust then to shepherd your life? Who do you trust to shepherd your life? Do they know you? Does your career care for you when you go through hard, hard times? Was your pursuit for pleasure there when you ran out of money? Walking with you through that difficult time, helping you cope and survive in a meaningful way. Do, does your shepherd know you? Who do you trust to shepherd your life? Because the good shepherd knows you, knows what you've been through, knows the good times, the bad times, the hard times. And he walks with you through it as one who can sympathize with you in your weaknesses. He's a good shepherd. How good it is to be loved by the good shepherd who knows you. Well, secondly, the good shepherd doesn't just know us, But the Good Shepherd saves his sheep. The Good Shepherd saves his sheep. We read in in verse well verse seven and verse nine that Jesus actually uses the terminology, I am the door. There's this imagery here that Jesus is saying that that to, to enter into the way of salvation, it is only possible, it is only by the means of Jesus. He is the way. He is the way. There's this kind of imagery where uh, when a city is at, at war, everything is barred up and no one can come and go because it's dangerous when you're at war to come and go. But verse 9, we read that by Jesus, the war has ended and there is peace. That by Jesus, people are free to come and go. And it's not an image, if you like, of people coming and going out of church. It's an image of that sense of peace, that through Jesus we can be saved and the walk can end. How does this happen? How does this happen? We're in chapter 10, but in nine chapters time, Jesus will be put on a cross with six-inch nails pushed through his wrists and his ankles, a crown of thorn placed on his head, humiliated before a crowd, mocked and spat at, Drinking the bitter cup. The, the the song that we sang is that he 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 took the wrath of God that, that I deserved. And and that's what happens. How how are we saved? How does it happen? It is by Jesus going to the cross. Why does it happen? Well, this passage, come back to chapter ten, explains it, gives it meaning when we look at verse eleven. Why does it happen? It happens because the the good shepherd lays down his life. Why? The good shepherd lays down his life. Why? For his sheep. Why did Jesus go to the cross? Here we're told that he went to the cross for his sheep. In the place of his sheep. Jesus died a death instead of his sheep. For the benefit of his sheep. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. It's interesting, isn't it? Because again, with an Old Testament understanding, when we walk through the Bible, we see often sheep are actually sacrificed for humans. Often that's the way. That sheep are, in, in some ways, offered as a sacrifice of atonement for sins. That, that, that by the, the sacrifice of a sheep, humans might become... Uh, forgiven, atoned for. How radical the reversal then when when he stands up and says, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd will die for the sheep. What a radical reversal that is. That the good shepherd would die for the sheep. He laid his life down for the sheep. As we've just sung, we are the ones who went astray. We're the ones who have run far from God, far from his good ways. We've rebelled against God. As Isaiah said, we, like sheep, have gone astray and we turned to our own way, but the Lord laid on him the iniquity of us all. The meaning, according to John 10, of the death of Jesus Christ is for you and me. What a shepherd. How good it is to be loved by this good shepherd who lays his life down for you. No one dies under his watch. No one dies under his watch. We read that that sheep are scattered, that sheep are destroyed is the language throughout this this passage. That they are terrorised, they are vulnerable under bad shepherds. But under the good shepherd no one dies except him. Under the good shepherd No one dies except him. I was reading during the week a hymn that reminded me of this, written in the 18th century that said, The soul that on Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to its foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavour to shake. I'll never, no never, No, never forsake. The Good Shepherd loves you. He knows you. And he cares for you and he will protect you that no one will die under his watch except him. He saves you by laying his life down for you. For you. In the place of you. Instead of you. For the benefit of you that you might know what it is to be saved from the wrath of God, that you might be completely forgiven. What a good shepherd who knows his sheep and saves his sheep. So who do you trust to shepherd your life? Well, thirdly, the good shepherd gives his sheep life. The good shepherd gives his sheep life. We read in verse 10, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. It's this picture of lavish living, isn't it? It's this picture of green pasture living for the sheep. Life and life abundantly. The context, if you like, or the understanding, the background, is that, that we, have, sh- like sheep, have gone astray. Will was saying to me that sheep often don't know what is good for them. And we, we have desires, and we are so easily led by bad and wrong desires to something so much less than what we were intended to enjoy. Something so much less than what we were intended for. It would be like this keyboard, if I just used it, perhaps just as something to lean on. But if that was its use all of its days, it has a use. It's somewhat useful. And yet it is so much less than what it was intended to be used for. To have life and life in abundance would be for this keyboard to be played in the way it was intended to be played. To have, if you like, the one who can actually use it and allow it and show it how to be enjoyed for all its benefits for all of its beauty and harmony that it can be used for. We, like sheep, have gone astray and settled for things so much less. We have a use, if you like, and yet under the Good Shepherd, we can actually enjoy life and life in abundance, that we might make much of Him, that His ways, allowing and surrendering our life to Him as the Good Shepherd, we would find that we have life and life in abundance. His ways, His intentions for us in the way that we ought to live is so much more. He is a good shepherd. Who do you trust to shepherd your life? Because the good shepherd gives you life and life in abundance. The other Old Testament background running throughout John 10 is, is Psalm 23, which says that the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want the Lord is my shepherd I shall not want. Sheep don't know what's good for them. They want things that aren't good for them. I want. I want, I want. I want a car. I want a house. I want uh, a child. I want my child to be quiet. I want I want peace. I want to be better at sport. I want to be the best at sport. I want to have a career that just gives me lots of money. I want, 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 Submitting ourselves and surrendering completely all our wants to the Saviour, the Good Shepherd. All of a sudden, the noise of this world, the cacophony of wants, dies and grows quiet that we would hear His voice. The one who knows what is best for us the one who knows how to best show us life. Sheep don't know what's good for them. The good shepherd does and he will lead you to life and life in abundance, the way life ought to be, the way life was intended to be, with him on the throne, with him as the shepherd. What a good shepherd we have. And you might even say to me, you might say, how can that be? Can't, can't something overcome amidst that abundant life, lavish living? Can't, couldn't something overcome the sheep? Couldn't something kind of terrorize the sheep under the, even the good shepherd? Maybe, or maybe not. What if the good shepherd is so in control that nothing happens outside of his control? There's this big theme throughout John of, the sovereignty of God. And and even here it's present, as we read in 17 and 18, that that nothing happens that is outside or or of a surprise nature to the good shepherd. Even his death is not an accident and does not come to him by surprise. Ten chapters before, nine chapters before it happens, Jesus says that he, he willingly, he voluntarily lays his life down and takes it up again. There's this wonderful picture of the sovereignty, this shepherd, This shepherd is so in control that that this world is in his realm that nothing happens outside of it. Nothing will overcome you that isn't according to the good shepherd's good intentions for you. And you might walk through storms. As we sang, you might walk through storms. You might feel weak at times but he is Lord, Lord of all. He is a good shepherd and he is a shepherd that is over all. And so this good shepherd, this good shepherd who knows you intimately, personally, who knows your past, your present and your future, this good shepherd who forgives your failings, your wanderings, this good shepherd, the one who, who when there was 99 and one lost, pursued and found you and led you back and parted that you would come back, the, that... that In in doing so, lay down his life so that you could enjoy all the benefits of life and life in abundance. This good shepherd, he will lead you home. He will love you. How good it is to be loved by this good shepherd who will lead you home and lead you to life and life in abundance. To lead you to live as you're intended to live. Not as you think you ought to live, but as he says the best way to live for you is. What a shepherd. What a good shepherd. And so again, I ask you, who do you trust to shepherd your life? Maybe, and I imagine in a crowd this big, there would be people here who have heard about Jesus, but you've never actually put your trust in him. I want to urge you, I want to exhort you that that you might respond this morning as he calls your name. As he calls your name, he knows you that you respond to him, that he would be the good shepherd for you, the one that laid his life down for you. That, that the weariness that you feel as you've uh, perhaps given yourself over and put your trust in people who have failed you or jobs that have let you down or pursuit of pleasure that has, that has again and again just left you unsatisfied. Come to the good shepherd. Turn away from bad shepherds and come to Him, respond to Him. Put your faith and your trust in Him as the shepherd of your life. If you would do that, then I would love to speak to you after this service. For many of us, I assume that many of us here though, we responded to the call of the good shepherd some time ago. For us, it's a different challenge as we read this passage. For us, it's the challenge that we, we heard the voice of, of the Good Shepherd, how beautiful it is. And we know how exceedingly great it is to respond to Him, to allow His voice to lead and guide us and direct us through this life. It is exceedingly great. It is far better than anything else. And yet, we find, as Paul spoke about, this war within. And yet, as Peter spoke about, that, that we seem to find within, a, 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 we are, have a, a challenge, a struggle with our flesh. That old desires seem to still fight against us within. The enemy lies within still. That the desires, like a sheep, can so easily entice us back to bad shepherds. I remember when I was at school playing this game, there was kind of a trust game. It was a trust game where you had to choose a good friend that you really trusted. And what was going to happen is that you were going to be blindfolded and they were going to lead you through a a maze or um, an obstacle course, and if that's not bad enough, we then had the rest of the class shouting out. And they would shout really bad directions, unhelpful directions, lies even. And (laughs) And so you would be challenged to think, which voice do I trust? It's a challenge. And you had to really focus to hear the one voice that you knew was for you, the one voice that knew you, that was for your good, that would lead you through well. Amidst the noise and the chaos, I put it to you that, that you live in a, in a world with a cacophony of loud voices, bad shepherds yelling lies to you. You have desires, even good desires. And yet bad shepherds trying to entice you. That desire that you have for peace, that's a good desire. And yet bad shepherds so often lead me to to actually ignore the good shepherd's voice and respond to my children in a way that I get angry at them in a a sinful way. That desire that that you may have for for financial security, that's a good desire. And yet... Bad shepherds will take that desire and entice me, and and, and I can listen to that that desire. that, That bad shepherd will entice me and lead me away to the point where I'm discontent, where I covet, where I find myself unhappy. That desire that you have for a companion, for a relationship, it's a good desire. And yet that desire can be enticed as the world in the myriad of voices that loudly yelling at me and leading me astray from the one voice I know that is for me, that knows me so well and leads me away and astray, that I act in a way that is not helpful, is not good, even sinful. That desire for pleasure. It's a good desire for joy, and yet I pursue wrongfully sinful fantasies, or perhaps I pursue pleasure at the expense of so many of my responsibilities. I try and escape and run to pleasure as a refuge and how it lets me down. A good desire leads me as a bad shepherd. You live in a world where there is many voices. The desires of your heart will will wage war with you. How exceedingly great is the voice of the Saviour. How exceedingly great is the voice of the Good Shepherd that calls you, that guides you, that knows you. And he will lead you home. So I want to to ask you, what presently are the desires that are waging war in your heart? If I were to ask you the question, what what is it that you most want? What are you most afraid of? What do you most want? What are you most most afraid of? Sheep can be incredibly vulnerable. And when they're vulnerable, they can be enticed and led away by their desires so easily. What are the desires that are presently making you vulnerable? What do you most want? What are you most afraid of? Be honest with yourself. Because that there is where you are vulnerable. Those desires are where you are vulnerable. John 10 exhorts you to hear the voice of the good shepherd. Hear him because his shepherding is exceedingly good, exceedingly greater than any that this world yells at you, any of the shepherding that is being loud and and wooing you and enticing your affections away from what is good for you, enticing you to compromise to a use, but not to be used as you are intended to be. I want to exhort you to fight against those desires that you might hear more and more the voice of the good shepherd. Will was telling me about how, how his sheep have actually learnt more and more and over the years the sound of his dad, that as his dad approaches to move them from one paddock to the next for a feed, the sheep will actually gather and meet him as they hear Will's dad I remember it was similar. My um, my wife had trained. uh, My wife's dad had trained the cows um, on her farm. That he just had to call out to them, "Come on!" and they would all fall into a line and, and come towards him. Get familiar with the voice of the Savior. Get familiar with the voice of the Savior. Go to him in his Word. Go to him in prayer. Go to him through the means of of fellowship, the people that he's put in your life. Share with them the things, the two things that, that I've just said to you. What is it that you most want and what is it you're most afraid of? Share that with someone. Share that you may be vulnerable in that area. Go to the word, go to prayer, and go to your friends. Help yourself to hear more and more and louder and louder the voice of the Good Shepherd in this life. Because He knows you. He saves you. And He gives you life. Lavish, abundant life. How good it is to be loved by the Good Shepherd. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank You that this morning we could be reminded of the Good Shepherd, that we can be reminded of how intimately you know us, how intimately you care for us, how intimately, as a Good Shepherd, you laid down your life for us, that we might know and experience and enjoy life as we were intended to enjoy, that you would guide us and you would direct us to enjoy life as a Good Shepherd guides and directs to enjoy life in abundance, Lord. I pray for those who are hearing you call for the first time their name this morning. Lord, may they respond to your call. May they turn away from every other evil and bad shepherd that has tempted them and wooed them to trust them. That they would call Jesus their good shepherd. I pray that you give us grace this week as we walk through a fallen and broken world with myriads of voices wooing us, enticing our desires and lying to us, that we would hear through the fog the voice of the Good Shepherd leading us and guiding us home. In Jesus' precious name.